Now, our talk this morning has the title, Good News for the Weary. And I don't know about you, but boy, do I feel weary. I'm not sure I can take any more stats or news broadcasts. You know, the panic buying, the crazy people breaking the social distancing rules. And now the Prime Minister even has coronavirus. It can be exhausting, can't it? The problem is that most of us were exhausted before this even started. Many of us were weary, tired and stressed with all the stresses of modern life. All the difficulties that we have at work, at home, at school, all those different places. Life can feel like a battle and it can be exhausting just keeping going. We can be wearied by all sorts of things. We can even be wearied by things like guilt in our own lives. You can see it on the news, people who have done something bad and then after a while they look years and years older. The burden of guilt wearies them. Or keeping secrets can do the same thing, it weighs down on you, on top of all the wearies of modern life. And this is true for Christians too. The Christian life can be wearying on top of all those other things. Our lives can feel like a battle. We can feel discouraged that we seem unable to live for God like we want to. We can feel tired battling temptation. We can feel sometimes like we're not a Christian at all when we mess up, when we do things that we're not supposed to do. It can really stress us out and we can feel like there's no way that God could accept us. And then on top of that, we can feel guilty about our sin too. Well, this morning, we have good news for the weary. Good news for people who are exhausted and tired out by all those different things. And even if you're not feeling weary, well, listen in. Maybe there's someone you can encourage, a weary person that you can find and share something with them. It might even be yourself next week. So we've got three points this morning to help us think this through from Romans 7. The first one, let's see if this works. We have died with Christ and risen to new life with Christ. We've died with Christ and risen to new life with Christ. For those who weren't around for the last time we were in Romans, Romans is a book that Paul wrote to encourage the Christians in Rome. He couldn't go there in person to strengthen them in the faith. So he wrote them this letter instead. It's his gospel, as he calls it in chapter 16. It's like his back pocket uh, talk explaining the gospel. He's already explained how we totally cannot save ourselves. How those who are openly sinful and those who aren't are actually in the same boat. And that boat is the Titanic. Slaves to sin, guilty before God and therefore under God's wrath, his righteous anger. The principle of the old way was, if you like a bit of maths, I know some of you do, sin plus law equals death. That was really the old way and how it worked. The problem is that all of us sin, don't we? None of us are perfect. We don't even meet our own standards, let alone God's, if we're being honest with ourselves. Just think about the times this week when you might have upset people or hurt people. We sin and the law declares us guilty. Even if we don't know the law in the Bible, our consciences do the same thing. That bumper sticker that you sometimes see, no regrets, is a lie. Actually, we do have regrets, don't we? It's either a lie or a delusion of someone who doesn't realise how much they've hurt people in their lives. We sin and the law declares us guilty and the penalty is death. It was lesson 101 in the Bible, wasn't it? Think about it right at the beginning, back at the beginning of Genesis. Take the fruit, break the rule, die. But now God has sent Jesus and his death on the cross has undone all that stood against us. He's redeemed us, 
brought us back from slavery to sin. He's justified us, declared us not guilty before God. And he's taken God's wrath on the cross, so there's no more left for us. All that is for all who believe, all who put their trust in Jesus alone to save them. All who have faith in him. It's a bit like the the story was told of two sailors whose boat capsized in a storm uh, in the middle of the sea. And a helicopter came to rescue them. Now, if you've got children with you, what time does a helicopter make? Yes, sort of of sound, doesn't it? Well, a helicopter came across, went over the top of them, and it dropped down a life belt attached to a rope. The pilot of the helicopter got on his megaphone and he said, get the life belt, arms down, and we will pull you up. Trust us and we will pull you up. Do not try to climb up yourselves. Well, the first sailor got in and slowly but surely, uh, the rescuers in the helicopter pulled him up. The rope started to sway a bit and he didn't like it, but he hung there to the life belt and he got there. The second sailor got in and slowly but surely was lifted up out of the water and the rope started to sway. He didn't like it, but he decided he could do it quicker himself. It would be quicker to climb the rope. It was taking too long. So he lifted up his arms to grab the rope and as he did, his body dropped through the life belt and he plummeted back down and was lost at sea. You see, Jesus can bring us life, but only if we trust in him and not ourselves. If we have faith in what he has done on the cross. So the new way is now Jesus' death on the cross plus faith equals life. Jesus' death on the cross plus faith equals life. All we need to do is consciously, deliberately rely on Jesus for our rescue. And not on ourselves, not on our good works. And we'll be saved, rescued from sin death and hell. And Paul's been explaining how that works. He's been sort of doing a Q&A through the rest of the book of Romans. How can it be that someone dying on a cross years ago in Jerusalem can save God's people in Rome from God's wrath? How could that possibly be separated in time and in space? Well, that's a question that we have, isn't it? How can Jesus' death save us? And Paul's answer so far has been that Faith unites us to Christ. It's like there are two huge giants in history. Now I'm going to try this again. Here we go. Two huge giants in history, Adam and Christ. And everyone is attached to either one or the other. So if you're attached to Adam, you share his end. And if you're attached to Jesus, you share his end. You you go with him. And it's like we're hanging from the belts uh, of these two giants. In fact, we share everything with Christ if we're attached to him. What happens to him happens to us. When Jesus died, those attached to him died. When he rose to life, those who are attached to him rose to life. We share in his death a new life. Our faith unites us to Christ. And this is so, so crucial for understanding our passage this morning. His big point has been in chapter 6, you have died to sin. And have been raised to new life. When it comes to sin, we're dead, says Paul. So live like it. Catch up to reality and stop offering the parts of your body to sin. Paul has dealt with sin. Well, Jesus really has dealt with sin, hasn't he? But that's not enough. Because we continue to sin, don't we, as we saw. We continue to let God down. So how can we be really sure we'll escape God's judgment? 
So Paul uses our link to Christ to explain how the good news gets even better. Our second point, we have died to the law and our old husband cannot scare us anymore. We've died to the law and our old husband cannot scare us anymore. If we have died, says Paul, the law no longer applies to us. He uses the story of a husband and wife to explain his point. Let me read those verses to us again. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So he's using this story of a husband and a wife to explain what he means. A husband and a wife get married, and the result is not good. This couple, when put together produces death. That's what it tells us in verse 5. It produces death. It's not that the husband is bad. We'll see that next week. It's just that when you put them together, all hell breaks loose, quite literally. What this woman needs is a new husband. But there's a problem. If she gets together with someone else when she's already married, then it's called adultery. And it doesn't solve the problem that she's still with her old husband. Divorce here is seemingly not an option. She's promised till death do us part. She can't break her promise and neither can her husband. Then it dawns on her. One of them has to die. Now, in verses 2 and 3, it's the husband that dies. If her husband dies, then she's free to remarry and she's not committing adultery or bigamy. Or technically polyandry, but that sounds a bit weird and complicated, doesn't it? But in the verses that follow, we'll see the image continues with the wife dying. The principle is the same though. When a death occurs, a marriage is over. When a death occurs, the law and the deceased part ways. And that's still the case in British law, that someone who has died can't be prosecuted for a crime. The British law system doesn't pursue you after death. Death ends your relationship with the law. Now the husband in this story is the law, not the British law, The law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the rules and regulations of the Old Testament. But it applies to rules more generally. Laws, or the law, Paul is saying, are not there as a door you can climb up to heaven. You can't go up them like a ladder uh, and reach heaven. They're there as a please use the other entrance sign. That's really what they're there. You see them in shots. Please use the other entrance. You can't get through this way. You must try another door. They're like the sheet. Uh, on a, use on a driving test. They're only used to mark errors. It can only tell you how badly you've done and not how well. You don't get extra marks for a perfect reverse park. You only get marks off for a bad one. Or it's like the charge sheet in a court of law. It doesn't list off your virtues. It doesn't list off your good things. It only lists off your crimes. The law is a terrible, terrifying husband to have. Imagine a husband or a partner or a parent who only ever pointed out your faults, who went around shouting at you and accusing you and threatening you 
and worse than that, threatened you with punishment for your shortcomings. That is what the law is in this picture. But what God wants us to know through this passage is that we have died to the law. When Jesus died, we died. The law no longer has any hold on us. We're released now from the law. And if you think that released sounds too strong, it's exactly what it says in verse 6, isn't it? But now we are released from the law. And on top of that, it's quite a strange word, that word released. It's variously translated in the Bible as destroy, nullify, bring to nothing, fail, vanish, put away, abolish, cease. In Luke's Gospel, it's used of Jesus chopping down a big tree. What do you shout when you chop down a big tree, children? Timber! That's really what it's, it's talking about. It's saying that with regards to the law, the law has been put away. With regards to us, sorry, the law has been put away, brought to nothing. It has no claim on the Christian. And that means we don't need to be scared of the law anymore. When it was our husband, we had reason to fear. Remember the old economy? Sin plus law equals death. But that has been done away with. Not only has sin been dealt with, but the law has been dealt with too. It's a double lock, if you like. And that's a good thing. Because although sin has been defeated, there is still what people call indwelling sin in us. Believers, when they become Christians, start to change to become like Jesus. But they don't change overnight. And we never make it there in this life. And that means there's always still sin in us. We're always battling and fighting sin in ourselves, as we'll see in next week's passage. And that can be wearying. It can be discouraging as we fight. But this is good news for the weary. The old way has been completely dismantled. It cannot lead to death for the Christian. The law can point at us and accuse us, but for us it is an ex-law. It is an ex-husband. It has no claim on us. The conclusion that Paul is getting to is there in chapter 8, verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Isn't that good news for those wearied by guilt or secrets? No condemnation. Because Jesus has done away with sin and he's done away with the law that accused us. No condemnation. Zero. Nada. Nothing. Zilch. We have nothing to fear from our old husband. He cannot condemn us anymore. We can fix our eyes on Jesus and all that he did for us on the cross. And in that way, our weary souls can find rest. As Augustine famously said, our souls are restless until they find their rest in thee. If we live for law, we will burn ourselves out trying to meet its impossible demands. But if we look to Jesus and his death on the cross, we find true rest. But let's just throw up a bit of a clangor. Does this mean then that there are no moral obligations for the Christian? Is this saying we can sin as we please? Well, as Paul would say, by no means. So our last point is that we now have a new husband and serve in a new way. Have a look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law, although through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. We didn't die to the law to be husbandless. 
we died to the law so that we could belong to another, Christ. We are risen and he is risen, never to die again. So there's no breaking off this marriage. We no longer belong to some legal code. We belong to Christ. We were not set free to go our own way, but to go Christ's way. We are set free to serve God and bear fruit for him. It's not so much a freedom from, but a freedom to. We are now free to serve God like we were created to. We are now free to fulfil our purpose in the world. Freedom for a train is not being off the track, but being on it. The freedom that we had before was a self-destructive one, like a train off a track. God has set us on the right track, the way of the Spirit, so that we may serve God properly. We're still under authority, we're still under moral obligation, but it is to Christ. Not to a system, not to a cruel taskmaster. Stuart Olliott's illustration is so, so helpful. I know I've used the first half before, but let me tell you it again. A woman works for a man as a cleaner. The woman finds her work less than, sorry, the, the husband, sorry, let me start again. A woman works for a man as a cleaner. Sounds like a joke, doesn't it? A woman works for a man as a cleaner. The man finds her work less than satisfactory. So he writes her a list to tell her what to do. Clean the floor to the edges. Toilets to be cleaned once a week. Don't put tea bags down the sink. The list in one sense is not unreasonable, but instead of helping her, it provokes her to disobey it. She'd never thought of putting tea bags down the sink until he mentioned it, and now that's all she wants to do. That's what verse 5 is about, about the, our desires being aroused by the law. If you don't believe this is true, have a look at the kids who spend the rest of their lives on a PlayStation, being told uh, uh, to play outside for the rest of their lives, and now they're being told to stay inside, and guess what they want to do? That's the human condition, isn't it? Rules and human heart are not a good mix. The problem is not that they're bad rules, the problem is with human beings. But our story, going back to that, has a happy ending. Eventually, the man and the woman fall in love and marry. The man tears up the list. Her obligation as a cleaner is gone. She now has a new husband, so to speak. And all she wants to do now is please him. She doesn't want to put tea bags down the sink. She's sad when the work that she does in the home isn't top-notch. The list is gone, and it's a new relationship there in its place. She still serves, but now she serves willingly out of love, not fearfully out of the threat of consequences. She serves a husband who loves her, who has laid down his life for her, which means that for us, our service is now different. Have a look at verse 6. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We serve by way of the spirit and not by way of the letter. Can I say first off, this is not setting the Holy Spirit against scripture, against the Bible. That's not what the verse means. Sometimes you get that, you know, you're a, a Bible-led church, we're a spirit-led church. But that's not the contrast this verse is setting up. In reality, a Bible-led church will be a spirit-led church because the Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. He wrote it. And a spirit-led church should be a Bible-led church. The Bible is called the sword of the spirit in the Bible. It's described as living and active. That's not the picture that's being set up here. The way of the letter is something dead and obsolete. So what does it mean? 
Well, Paul has already made this distinction in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, 27 to 29. It said, Then he who is physically circumcised, but keeps the law, will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision, but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is not a matter of the heart by the spirit. Oh, sorry. And circumcision is, is a matter of the heart by the spirit and not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. The distinction here is a bit clearer, isn't it? This new way to serve is not merely an outward and physical service. It's not just going through the motions out of duty to earn merit. It's something spiritual, something that the Holy Spirit empowers us to do. It's something inward. It's something of the heart. Of course it will work its way out in physical ways, in actions. But it begins here in the heart. The old covenant was written with letters on stone. The new covenant is written on our hearts by the Spirit. We serve God with the whole of our lives in amazing gratitude to what God has done for us. This service not comes from, uh, comes from gratitude, not from guilt, from thankfulness, not from fearfulness, from love, not lists. And do you see how it's different? It's not a religion, it's a relationship. It's not serving a structure, but a saviour. It's not about duty, it's about delighting our husband. Now the wives among us might testify that that can still feel wearying. But it's a wearying that's worth it, isn't it? There's all the husbands and wives looking at each other now, aren't they? Thinking, uh, is it? Mm? All the wives are going, meh. <laughs> but it's a very different kind of tiredness, isn't it? The tiredness of guilt and worry. It's a very different weariness to the one that crushes us and causes us to fear. So brothers and sisters, as Paul writes elsewhere in Galatians 6 verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's keep going, knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That we don't have that burden of weariness to bear anymore and we shouldn't take it back. We're freed from slavery to sin and free from the terrors of the law. So let's pray that God would give us the strength that we need to live through this life, which can be wearying, but looking to Christ who is our rest and gives us strength to make it through. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he has uh, not only overcome our sin, but also the law that stood against us as well. Help us to live for him, knowing, Father, that we can live lives that are pleasing to him, our new husband. Father, help us to love him with all our hearts and to serve him uh, day by day. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.